this past week. As we look into the gospel, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Therefore, this morning we want to pray because the stories that we are hearing of sexual assault from our newsrooms, from sports war, the national government, what I think of the executive arm of the government, judiciary or legislative arm, they are not good. Think of the church as well. What we're hearing is very, very saddening. Unfortunately, many victims are forced to relieve the dehumanizing traumatic experiences again. In their pain and silence, they agonize. Who cares? Who sees me? Who wants to listen to me? Who wants to believe me? I admit that some of us, if not many of us, have been insensitive to your experience of sexual abuse or assault and emotional injury. We've not only rationalized and excused our wickedness, but blame you for our action. You trusted us, but we've proven unworthy and untrustworthy. We fail to live by biblical convictions. Instead, we gravitate towards practices that provide immunity to the powerful, to the privileged. But we also condemn and punish the weak and the marginalized among us. Today, we say we are sorry. Sorry for not listening and believing your stories and experiences of sexual assault or wrongful accusation. We are sorry for our indifference and our silence. In this past week, I had a very touching conversation with my daughter, he said. And she said, Daddy, why is it okay for boys to be boys but not girls? Why do we have different expectations? And the same week, her brother walked to me and said, Daddy, why is it that sin committed decades ago still matters. How do you respond as a father? To a 15-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy. Church family, the choice we make today do matter. We choose to live in the fear of God for the sake of today and tomorrow as well. Let me conclude by saying to those assaulted or wrongfully accused that as a husband, as a father of three children, 
As one of your pastors here at New Community, you are a leader. I see you. I stand in solidarity with you for justice. As a church, we covenant to pray for your healing and restoration and to listen, to believe, and to walk with you. Sisters and brothers, this particular part of your story is not your entire story. But you are fearfully and wonderfully created by God who does not make mistakes. You are loved and valued. Your redemption is nearer. Trust the one that will never fail. Trust his church as well, even in failure. I invite you to dare to believe that God is a healer. He will heal you. God invite you to give the bread of Christ the church. Another opportunity. We see you. We love you. Please join me in praying. Let's pray. God of endless love, ever caring, ever strong, always present, always sees, always just, the shepherd of peace. Hear our cries as we agonize over the harm done to our sisters and our brothers. Pray that you come restless hearts with your hope. Steady shaken spirits with faith, show us the way to justice and wholeness. Enlightened by your truth and unfolded in your mercy, O God. Holy Spirit, comforter of hearts, heal your people's wounds and transform our brokenness, O God. Grant us courage and wisdom, humility and grace so that we may act with justice and find peace in you. We find our story again in you, O God. O God, grant that our nation, and especially the church, will shine with integrity, with truth, with compassion, with humility, oh, with justice, O God, our Father. I work on our date conscience. Because our life again, we pray this 
in Jesus name amen Hope that we will continue to be the church. Hope we will continue to be the church. I'm sorry for being emotional. Show you. you identify with me when you, on every day, on a daily basis. I mean, this is part of the after dinner conversation. When you speak to your children as a pastor, that's even harder. God is faithful. This morning we have the privilege of having Dr. Keith Hamilton. He's the founding president of Alaska Christian College. Uh, this institution started uh, in 2000, and 2000, and he's married to Debbie, who is also the executive director of uh, a ministry that ministers to the students of uh, Alaska Christian College. She directs the Hope Counseling Center. They have three grandchildren. We just got talking this morning. This past week, he was able to see the three of them, even though they live far away. One lives in California, and we have one here at North Park. Keith has served as Christian Camp Program Director, Covenant uh, Short-Term Missionary to Mexico City, and has been an ordained covenant pastor for over 25 years. All of these caps that he wears, he still have time for fun. So for fun, he served 40 years as a volunteer firefighter. Thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> Keith has a doctorate degree in youth and family uh, culture from Fuller Theological Seminary in California. And he speaks broadly on the topics related to adolescents and ministry to students both in Alaska and elsewhere. The joys of his ministry, life, uh, discipleship. He's very much involved in discipleship mission, adolescent ministry, and he trusts the Lord to give him wisdom to incorporate all of these three so that he will be faithful and being obedient to Christ, even as he seeks to fulfill the Great Commission. Please welcome Dr. Keith Hamilton. Well, thank you for having me today. Before I let you off the stage, though, Pastor, I brought you the 2018 
ACC t-shirt as a gift right there, buddy. You can wear that in January. So my friend Michael Emerson says, Keith, you need to come and preach at my church. I'd love to hear you preach. I said, I'll be there. He's not here today. He ditched us for Hinsdale Covenant this morning. Hey, how many have been to Alaska? Raise your hand. I just want to see you around the room. Okay, a couple of you. All right, good, good. Well, um, I, I doubt many of you know about your Covenant College in Alaska. So let me start by just giving you a little bit of a background um, of who we are and what we do. So you're a part of a denomination that owns two universities. One is a little dinky one here in Chicago called South Park. And uh, no, that's not right. No, North Park. And the other is Alaska Christian College in Soldotan, Alaska. We're south of Anchorage about two and a half hours if you're driving or 20 minutes by air. And we reach Alaska Native Eskimos. How many of you have ever seen an Eskimo before? I would bet you haven't. There are not a lot of them running around Chicago. But I will tell you that they're the most awesome student, college student to ever serve. They come from very far western Alaska where they live on subsistence still. They're still hunting and fishing for their food and collecting berries and, and lettuce off, of, off the ground, off the tundra. And when they try to go to the four-year university way over here, they really struggle and most of them fail being retained from the village to the four-year. So we're a two-year AA degree granting college accredited, and we offer four AA degrees. One is in Christian ministry, of course, paraprofessional education, behavioral health, and then we have a liberal arts general AA degree. So students who come have got a shot at college finally. And we give them the opportunity to come, even though they don't have the resources, we financially support them to help them to get there. We raise our support as missionaries, a lot of our staff, and we are just the hands and feet of Jesus in a crazy state that's two and a half times the size of Texas. Yeah, biggest mountain in America, Mount Denali. It's a beautiful place, but a lot of struggles. This morning, I'm going to take you on a journey, a little bit of the journey of Jonah and a little bit of the Keith Hamilton's family journey, because why would a woman from California marry a guy from Washington and end up in Alaska? Part of the story today. Let's bow. Lord, for these few minutes that we have together, I want to first thank you for Pastor Zach's heart and for the sermon that he already preached this morning. And Lord, that I might be able to bring humbly something further for us to know, Lord, how you are a pursuing God and you're after every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in your bulletins today, hopefully you also got a brochure about Alaska Christian College. See some pictures of our students and our campus a little bit. And there's an envelope in there for you to also be generous if you wish to give today or to mail in or go on the website. But I want to take you to Jonah with me. If you want to open up your phones with me to the book of Jonah and... Uh, you can't, you can't miss it. It's right between Genesis and Revelation. So if you want to pull that up. I know you've heard the story of Jonah before. I know you learned about it perhaps many years ago. I'm going to ask you to listen to it again today with fresh, fresh ears. It's really hard to find, so make sure you look in your concordance or up in the front there. It's a, it's a little small four-chapter story of an amazing prophet named Jonah. And the question we're going to answer today is God pursuing you? Here's the word of the Lord, Jonah chapter 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now here's the command. Go to the great city of what church? Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. The Bible says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. 
and headed for Tarsha, she went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from who, church? The church, who? The Lord. Speak up there. All right, I want to hear you. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid. I'd be too. And each cried out to his own God. Is that a small g or a big g? It's a small g. This isn't our God they're crying out to. It's their God. I don't know who their God was, the God of the rutabaga or the God of the, I, I don't know. But they're crying out to some God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The Bible says that Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up on calling your God, small g. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. And sailors said to each other, hey, let's cast lots. Let's find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on who, church? Jonah. Never picked the short stick, you guys. And they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And I can almost see Jonah stand erect and strong and say these words. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, capital L, the God, capital G of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? <laughs> they knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, what should we do to you, Jonah, to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw him into the sea, he replied, and I know it will become calm, for I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The Bible says, though, instead the men did their best to roll back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Now look at verse 14. Then they, these are the sailors, they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, small L or big L? Oh, they're getting the capital L here, they're getting it. Now they're crying out to Jehovah, to the God of Jonah, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, capital L. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And that famous verse 17 from Sunday school. Now the Lord provided a huge halibut to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Is God pursuing you? We're going to come back to Jonah in a moment. So here's this guy, Jonah. He's a prophet. We read about him here. We also hear about him in the New Testament. But Jesus also says as Jonah was in Three days and three nights, so shall I. Talking about his resurrection and his death. In fact, if you look around other parts of Scripture, in the book of Nahum, the Assyrians themselves, they left huge monuments to how cruel they could be to their arch enemies in Israel. But the Bible says that God loved Nineveh. And Jonah the prophet didn't get it. In fact, he did exactly the opposite of what God commanded him to do. But I get it. How hard would it have been for you to go find the arch enemy of the people of the United States a number of years ago, Osama bin Laden, and go up to Osama, give him a big hug and say, I love you, man. 
be pretty hard. And that's about the extent of what Jonah was being asked to do. The arch enemies of his people. Oh, I don't want to do that, God. I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm out of here. But we know that God did not want Nineveh to get nuked. And that famous verse 17 tells us what happens to bad little prophets. They don't obey the Lord when he's pursuing them. They get swallowed up. God pursues prophets. He has been since the beginning of time. My second point is really simple. God doesn't just pursue prophets, but he also pursues his purposes. I don't know what it is about you and me, but we try to thwart God's purposes all the time. We try to go the other direction. He's saying, no, you go here. But if God has a plan to fulfill or a project to finish, he just gets it done. I've never known a time for God to say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I'm out of here. I just don't hear God doing that. You see that God always finishes what he begins. Because if he breathes his will into being, there is no pope, there is no president, Republican or Democrat, there is no king, nobody can thwart the will of God because you and I both know that's not he who sits in the great white house that's calling the shots, but he who sits on the great white what? He's calling the shots. So why are we trying to run? Why do we try to thwart the will of God. God always wins. And we see in verse 17, God wins. The big swallowed halibut thing happens, as I said. Well, we come along to chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of chapter 2 to you because really it's just a prayer. What would you do if you were stuck inside a fish for three days and three nights? I'd pray. And here's the prayer. I'll just act really quick. Um, God man am I an idiot and man does it stink in here this is horrible oh I tell you what get me out of here and I'll do it chapter 2 verse 10 look down here chapter 2 verse 10 and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can you believe it? The Bible uses the word vomit. I like the high school kids. He puked him out, man. Or then the King James, and he was spewed onto the shore. I was out in California, and a Wycliffe missionary said to me, Keith, he said, when I read the story of Jonah, I think of the word barf. I said, what do you mean you think of the word barf? And he said, here. And he handed me the whole story of Jonah using the word barf. Are you ready? First the boat, then the belly, then the barf, then the beach. And God said to Jonah, preach, preach, preach. There you have it. God commanded Jonah, you need to do as I say. When God has a project to finish, he just gets it done. We cannot escape God's will. Chapter 3, man, what happens? So chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad our Lord is a God of second chances? And third and fourth sometimes for some of us that are thick-headed like me. Look at this, verse 2, exact same words again. Exact same form from chapter 1. Go, here it is again, to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeys the word of the Lord and goes to Nineveh. An awesome verse 5, everybody. The Ninevites believed God. And they declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It even says the king himself bowed down before God. God always wins. We can't escape God's purposes. 
No one ever has, even Jesus himself, when he said, take this cup from me. So Christian brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this question. Why is it that when God is calling you to go north, you also, like me, want to run south? And does God have to get your attention in some incredible way when you try to defy God? Because God doesn't just pursue prophets or pursue his purposes, but he also pursues people, common people, like you and like me. A little bit of my story. My wife and I were serving in Arvada, Colorado at a wonderful church, about 1,200 people. I was a youth pastor. Youth ministry was taken off. Things were going really well, and I got this, hey, Keith, what do you think about planting a new Bible college for the covenant denomination in Quito, Ecuador? Quito, Ecuador. You know the sun goes up and down the same time every day in Quito, Ecuador? You know it's 78 degrees year-round every day in Quito, Ecuador? My wife would get house help for eight bucks a day in Quito, Ecuador. Give it up, ladies. And I speak Spanish fluently. My wife speaks Spanish fluently. Well, I should say I'm fluent, except the one time I told the congregation by accident that I was pregnant. Um, <laughs> the word's really close, but... Uh, we're going south, baby. We are going south. My, my tombstone is going to say, the lower the latitude, the better my attitude. I love warm weather. And that door closed. Actually, my roommate from seminary at North Park got the job, and he'd been a part of the ministry already. They decided he'd better grab. I said, that's fine. I'll stay home in my comfortable three-bedroom home, my three cute little kids and my three-legged dog named Lucky. And uh, we're going to stay. This is great. Except our God is a pursuing God. And he pursues common people. And so there I was in church the Sunday after Easter of 2000. Pastor that morning was Mosai Sanguma, the president of the Covenant Church of the Congo, a seminary classmate of mine. I don't remember what he preached on, man, but when he got done and he sat down, I began to weep because I knew the Lord was calling us. Not to Ecuador, but somewhere else. I looked over at my wife, Debbie, and she's crying too. We knew the Lord was stirring, but where? God pursues people. And so I got invited that summer of 2000 to speak at a little covenant Bible camp in Unalakleet, Alaska. Unalakleet is about 600 air miles west of Anchorage. It's where the first covenant missionary landed in 1887 to begin the mission work there that has, we have 19 churches today throughout the state of Alaska, most of them in villages. There I was in Unalakleet, giving them Jesus as high school kids. About the third day there, our pastor of the Covenant Church taps me on the shoulder and says, Keith, I think God's moving you to Alaska. What? Yeah, I think God is telling me to tell you that you should be moving to Alaska. Whoa, no, that's never happened to me before. Somebody coming up and saying something like that. A couple days later, we're on a hunt looking for muskox. A muskox is a kind of a woolly mammoth animal kind of a thing. And um, we're out trying to find it. And uh, youth pastor of the Covenant Church in Hooper Bay taps me on the shoulder. He says, Keith, I, I, I got to let you know I had a dream last night. Oh, yeah? He said, yeah, in my dream last night, you and I were at McDonald's in Anchorage. Very specific dream. And in the dream, we talked about you being involved in a college in Alaska. You were in a doing something at the college in Alaska. Whoa. Now that's never happened before. 
I asked him, did you see any palm trees in your dream? Hawaii Covenant College, maybe, sounds really nice. That Friday night at the end of camp, my wife, Deb, flew up from uh, Colorado, and we were going to spend a week traveling together, and I said, honey, you won't believe what's going on. This happened, and this happened, and we had dinner that night with uh, one of our missionary aviation partners, wife, three little kids. He was out flying. I didn't get to see Don on that trip, and I told her what was going on, and she said, you know, we need to pray, and I like threes. You know, there was one, there was two, but I like threes. I said, Lord, give, me, give us a third one. I, 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 I'm not ready to say yes to this one yet. And when God hears that kind of a prayer, he responds. And it was a week later after we got home, I got a phone call from our conference superintendent saying, Keith, I got bad news. I said, what? Remember the family you were with last week having dinner? Yeah. Well, Don was out flying today, and he just dropped off a little kid at Bible camp, and Jeff Seamers, who today is our executive vice president, dropped the two of them off. The plane went up, and 16 feet of water, he was ejected and killed. And man, Debbie and I wept over that loss. The crazy thing was I'd never met Don personally, email, phones, but I was just with his wife, three little kids. In fact, she was pregnant with her fourth baby when the Lord took him home. He never knew it, this side of heaven. And we're wondering, why are we weeping over this death? And we realize that God was stirring us to move to Alaska, that this was the third thing that I had prayed for, that God was saying, Keith, it's, it's time for you to pack up and to do something really crazy and plant a Bible college that doesn't exist for Alaska Native young people who don't know Jesus, who haven't been discipled, who aren't getting degrees. And so we did that. We uh, packed up our family. But before I did that, we had one more huge barricade happen. Like three days before I'm flying up to interview to become the president of nothing. I get a phone call from a conference superintendent. He says, I've got some bad news. I said, man, every time you call me, it's bad news. And he said, we just had a meeting and decided we can't do this college thing anymore. Um, there's no money to do it. There are no students that we know of want to go to the college. We don't have any buildings to rent, beg, borrow, or steal. And he said, we don't have any staff that want to work with you. Well, I'm used to that. So we can't do it. You're pursuing God. You're after us. Because when you pursue common people, you also, my fourth and last P, you also provide. You provide. And so it was that I was meeting with a high school kid two days before I flew up to the interview. And I told Tyler, I said, Tyler, I, you can't tell anybody, but I'm about to go up to interview to become the president of something that doesn't exist. We got no money, no buildings, no, no, no students, no staff, no nothing. And he says, you know what? If you'll go and be a missionary and raise your own support, I want to give you $2,000 of my college fund. The first gift came from a college kid in my youth group, high school kid in my youth group. That Friday, the actually day I flew up, I met with a guy who had been mentoring me, and I told Chris what was going on, and Chris said, man, if you go to Alaska and choose to do this, God calls you $5,000 to your support. I'm on the way to the airport, my cell phone rings. It says, mother-in-law in Colorado Springs. Hey, Keith, I just heard you're going to Alaska. I said, whoa, 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 people are supposed to know this. She said, if you go, we want to commit, my, wife, my husband and I, Bob, $5,000 to your support. 
I hadn't even gotten on a plane to go to interview to become the president of something that doesn't exist with people I hadn't met before, and there's already how much money in the bank? $12,000. Now, what do you do with that? Do you ignore it? Run from it? Because God provides. Our God's a providing God. So we looked all around Alaska for a building to rent or something we found in Soldotna, Alaska. Two and a half hours, I said, south of Anchorage. If I'm driving three hours, if everybody else is driving. Beautiful place, 8,400 square foot mansion with an indoor swimming pool on 10 and a half wooded acres. And I got so excited, I made an offer on the spot with the realtor. And they took my first offer. Remember, 8,400 square foot, 10 and a half acres, $350,000. And I'm sure in downtown Chicago, you can do the same thing. <laughs> Lord, this is awesome. This is so exciting. There was only one little small problem. We had no what? We had no money to buy it. So I made an offer and I had no money to buy it. But I'm a youth pastor. Who cares about money, right? <laughs> I was out speaking, trying to raise money for my family. We were still living in Colorado. And the offer was before us. And I went to First Covenant Church of Portland, Oregon. And I showed up, my good buddy pastor there, John Wenrick is his name. He's now our denominational president. I said, John, can I just share about the college? I have no pictures. I have no student stories. I have no videos. I had nothing but this dream of the Covenant Church of Alaska planning this native college. Can I come and tell your, this story? He said, yeah, sure, come on over. So I flew in and gave my heart out. After church, he went to the mission board, went out to lunch. And I said, um, I gotta tell you guys something. This, this, this piece of property with this beautiful house on it, if we could buy it, I need $25,000 down. And they said, you know what? We'll get back to you. Whoa, it wasn't a no. <laughs> Two weeks later, Pastor John's on the phone. Keith, there's a check in the mail to you right now for $25,000. I said, what? You gotta be kidding. I'm not that good of a preacher. What happened? He said, you didn't know the Sunday that you were there. God provides, right? The Sunday that you were there, we just sold this little Bible camp that our churches owned for the last 30 years, and we want to do some really significant things with the funds that came from that, and today, we want to buy a college. And I said, you can do that. Well, when somebody gives you $25,000, you go say thank you, right? So a year later, I went back to First Covenant Church of Portland, Oregon. I knocked on the door, went inside. They said, Give us the new stories. I finally had pictures. I finally had a video. I finally had everything to get people excited about the school. And they were just ecstatic to be able to do it. But after church, this little old lady walks up to me. She must have at least been 60 years old. And she, um, <laughs> she says to me, you don't know the rest of the story. I said, who are you, Paul Harvey? She said, you don't know the rest of the story. When you were here that Sunday, I'm the one that stood up. I'm the one that said we had to buy a college because, you see, I was born at the turn of the century. She's in her 90s, turn of the century. And I'm the only one in this church who remembers this. But the man who came and planted our church, a storefront church in Portland at the turn of the century, our covenant pastor that I knew, he was the first covenant missionary to Alaska. When he retired, he came back and planted First Covenant of Portland, Oregon. Isn't that amazing? God provides.
God pursuing you today? Is he after you for his will and his way? Is he tapping on your shoulder? Is he knocking at your door? Is he asking you for something crazy? The story I'll close with, Ray lets me tell. One of our students came out of a rough family, five siblings from Unilaclet also, living in Bethel at the time with her mom and dad, both abusive alcoholics. Alcoholism is an enormous factor in everything in Alaska, including the reason why we are six times the national average on suicide. And they were beating on each other one night and pulled Ray out of bed and said, you need to pick one of us because one of us is leaving and not coming back. And mom slammed the door and left and she never came back. Never came back. Ray was 10 years old. Had to take care of her siblings because dad was too drunk in the morning. Hung over to get up and take care and get the kids off to school. So Ray was doing that. Ray would cook the meals at night because dad wasn't around to do it. When Ray was 15 years old, somebody came into her home and did something horrific to her. And again, and again. For our young people, the way out, the easiest way out is to end your life. Because they've seen it done time and time again, and there's this silence of violence. You can't talk about it. She told her mother, her mother said, you don't ever, ever tell anybody that. Don't ever tell anybody that. And it happened, and it happened. And so one day she took a gun. And she was in her room, and no one was in the house. Before she could do something that would end her life, she said, I heard my name, Ray, Ray, called out in the room. She said she looked around, there was nobody there. So she didn't know, maybe it was God. And she put the gun down. So now she's 18 years old. She's seen her older brother, Donald, our first class, come through Alaska Christian College. She said, he's different. I don't know what happened to him, but whatever he's got, that's what I want. Well, it wasn't what he got, it's who he got. Because Donald found Jesus at Alaska Christian College. Life was changed. Finished up with us, went to North Park, got his degree in teaching, teacher out in the village. She said, I want that. And so she came to ACC, but within two months, she had a plan again to end her life. You see, it's something that you don't tell anybody about. But we have this counseling center on our campus. My wife's executive director, as Zach said, and she got Ray the help that she needed right away. In fact, she went up to Anchorage, was involved in a hospital for a couple of days to get stabilized. Ray walks back into my office after being gone for part of a week, knocks on my door, opens the door, and there's Ray standing there. You know what? She's got this huge smile on her face. I said, Ray, what's going on? She said, well, you won't believe what happened to me when I was up in Anchorage, but I found out, and we've been telling her this all along, but she said, I found out that Jesus loves me. He loves me. Me, me, me. Oh, it's so great to hear that. That she had found Christ of all places in a hospital. But Christ had radically changed her life. She had been failing all of her courses, by the way. She was so depressed and so discouraged with her pain. She came back that second semester with a vengeance and did so well. Almost straight A's. I knew she was a smart kid. That summer, she went back home, came back our second year to finish up. And at the end of her second year, we have these students fill out these prayer cards, a picture of them and their prayers for the future. People take these prayer cards and pray for our students. And she had written something on her prayer card. I said, there's just no way this is going to happen. But our God provides. 
he pursues. And she calls me one night that summer. And she says, I'm on my way. I got accepted. I said, you're kidding me. You got accepted. And she flew off to finish her education. My wife Debbie and I flew back for her graduation finally when she finished her four-year degree. In fact, Ray is the only Alaska Native female in the history of the United States to graduate from the United States Naval Academy at Annapolis. Yeah. A 3.7 in engineering. I can't even spell engineering. <laughs> Carlton, would you come to the piano? Her story's amazing, and um, if, you know, if you know I Surrender All, um, play that in the background, I Surrender All, do you know that? Yeah. I can hold on more than one second. I'm going to keep preaching. Yeah, keep preaching, but I <laughs> promise you I was just singing that right there. Oh, my goodness. But more, but more than that, before you finish, I'm going to have the worship team hold off for just a second because there are several people in here who God has called, and I want you to pray for them yeah. specifically. We're going to do that. Done. Yeah. That's, that's what I plan to do, too. You got me already worked out. Yeah. I, ooh, God, wow, big thing here. That's cool. So with Ray, who answered the call of God, and with Keith and Debbie, just a couple of yahoos from Colorado. I don't know how the Holy Spirit works because I'm not him, obviously. But I know that he has called people that he's been pursuing and they've been running in the other direction. And it might be from a personal relationship that you have with somebody. You've been running the opposite direction. Go, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to handle it. And you run away. And sometimes you're just running from God himself. Like Jonah, you're just in a place where you've been playing games Monday through Saturday and then on Sunday we show up and we put on the face that maybe Jesus is pursuing you for a relationship with him today to say yes to Jesus Christ. That could happen today. It's happened all over America as I preach this message. And then maybe, 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 maybe God is calling one of you or two of you to full-time ministry, to be passionate about saying, yes, Lord, I, I, I want to say I'm yours, whatever it takes, wherever you want to send me, Lord, I will go, even Africa. <laughs> I've never prayed for Africa, but Alaska starts with an A and ends in an A also, so I'm pretty good, pretty close. So the Holy Spirit of God comes and he moves, and he's moving right now, I know, and I've had pastors even come forward and pray at this time of the service because you knew, they knew God was calling them somewhere else. I've had broken people who have had their marriages in disaster come forward and say, I, I know God's pursuing me to have a right relationship with my spouse. And others have come with addictions that have said, I know that God's pursuing me to get rid of this and today's the day I'm gonna stop pornography, I'm gonna stop my drinking, I'm gonna stop the abuse. I, I don't know how the Lord is calling you today, but the song that he's playing, I Surrender All, I, I love Tony Campolo, he says, you know, we sing the chorus, I Surrender All, but really in our heads we're singing, I Surrender One-Tenth. One-Tenth to Jesus, I Surrender, One-Tenth to Jesus. And it's not, it's all. Is the Spirit speaking this morning to you? Is he tapping you on the shoulder? Father, in these moments, there may be someone whose heart is pounding and, and whose palms are sweaty, like mine. Lord, that you are calling 
of some crazy adventure or you're calling to say yes to Jesus Christ to be for the first time their Savior, their Lord, the one who's coming again. I, I don't know, Lord, how you're speaking, but you are. And maybe there's that relationship that's broken. That addiction. We know that you not just pursue and provide, Lord, but you're here today. So we're just going to leave the altar open, and um, I'm going to step down and be in the front and be available to pray with any of you that would like to come. And Carlton, if you could lead us in that hymn, I'd appreciate it. And I'll be back up for the benediction in a little while. opportunity pass you by if Christ is calling you to surrender today. I'd love to pray with you again as we wrap up the service. So grateful to be here today with great brothers and sisters who are attuned and listening to the Spirit of God. My benediction today comes from um, the great state of Alaska. Waka is the word we use for hello. Kuyana is the word we use for thank you. Waka and thank you. For having me today. Now may the Lord God of the Tlingit, of the Chupik, of the Nupiak and the Yupik Eskimo, the God of the Athabascan and the Chemishan, the God of the Nigerian, the Swede, the Honduran, that God who calls us, who pursues us, pursue you in any, every way until you surrender. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. It's safe.